Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Harry Wakes right to the last. Deli Alli. Lanella. To Dombele. Hugo Lloris. And he saved it. And the foul. Shishenko. So long. Mission to go alone. This is sensational. World class. Absolutely stunning. From the Asian Hello and welcome to The Last Word on Spurs. We hope you're keeping safe and well. If you're listening to the show for the very first time, you can find us on iTunes, on Spotify, or on Audioboom, or across every major audio platform. You can find us on social media. We're on Twitter at Last Word on Spurs. We're on Facebook and Instagram too. And we are back talking all things Tottenham, bringing you all the latest news on the club. Another therapy session as Spurs make their first appointment of the summer. Yes, Tottenham Hotspur have announced the signing of Fabio Paratici joining the football club, like I say, effective from the 1st of July. Here with me on this show, delighted to have alongside me, I've got Jason McGovern and I've got Jamie from the Daily Hotspur as we, like I say, look back on the past seven days of Tottenham Hotspur and provide you all the latest news. And firstly, we have got to start with Christian Eriksen, former Spurs player, always one of our own. And we saw the terrible scenes of Christian Eriksen on the Saturday going down, collapsing in that game between Denmark and Finland in the Euros. I think all of us, when we saw that initially, we thought the worst. And Christian Eriksen, listen, although he remains in a stable condition, it's one where I think we're just all thankful the man is still with us. And like I say, he's still... Here, at this moment in time, we wish him all the very best. And I've got to come round to you, Jace, to get your thoughts on Christian Eriksen. I mean, what did you make of those scenes? It was so sad to see it on the Saturday. I wasn't actually watching the game at the time. I was, was doing other things and uh, talking to my, my good Danish friend, who I know from Bangkok, who, who became a Spurs fan because of Eriksen. Obviously, Eriksen was always his favourite player, and he was always saying, you should buy Eriksen, you should buy Eriksen. And, and sure enough, we did. But... Um, he sent me a message that just said, Ericsson WTF. And I, I presumed he'd put one in the top corner from a free kick. 
and then I think it was was it Ant in the group said Blimey Ericsson's Ericsson's collapsed on the pitch or something and that's when I came down and put it on and and it was a it was a really worrying distressing sight wasn't it um full credit to the the Danish players for for trying to put that that screen around him so uh, not everyone could see what was going on and I think you know I think the TV coverage went on way too long and should have been cut a long time before that but um it was distressing signs. It's it's never nice, of course. You know, we had the Fabrice Mwamba thing, which is still probably fresh in everyone's minds. And and uh, just not knowing was, we still think of him as one of our own. And, you know, it wouldn't have matter which player on the pitch it was, but it just had more impact, I suppose, being being somebody that we associate with. The news now is obviously a little bit better. I think we, we know he's had a cardiac arrest now uh, and that he's on the road to recovery. But, um, you know, any talk for me of, what the future holds for him is irrelevant. He's a he's a son, he's a father, and he's a husband, and they're the only three things that matter. And uh, his his well being is is I mean, all anyone should be talking about at the moment. And uh, you know, leave the medical summarization to the the medical staff that are treating him. I don't want to see professors and doctors on TV that haven't studied it, don't know the case, and that telling us all what will happen or won't happen. Let's just. Let's just give the boy some time to recover and uh, and hopefully he makes a full recovery for for life reasons anyway. And we'll worry about for a much later date. Jane, come around to you. I mean, it's just one of those incidents where it was so freakish. You know, we saw CPR appear to be performed before 29-year-olds removed from the pitch on a stretcher. It was just like you couldn't believe what you were quite watching, can you? It was just such a scary incident. And, you know, thankfully, I say thankfully, it looks like Ericsson is on the road to recovery. And I feel like Jason says there, it's far too early to be making assumptions about what the long-term future holds for Christian Ericsson in terms of football again. Yeah, I mean, I, I was just, I'm, I'm so, so grateful that Christian Ericsson is here. And, uh, you know, I don't really care what else happens on the pitch and the, during the Euros. And just, you know, it was, it was so sickening to see at any player, obviously, you know, being a Spurs fan and having been at the club, it did really feel like there was a real connection with Ericsson. So, and of course there is. Um, so, I, you know, I'm just so, so grateful that, he, you know, he's, he's still alive. And um, it was a horrible situation. I was in similar to Jason. I wasn't able to watch the game and uh, obviously got messages straight away. And, you know, you just felt utterly, utterly sick. Um, I was just so grateful they got the news. But I think you've got, you know, to give credit to everyone that was kind of involved in, in really helping him. You know, I thought the Danish, Danish teammates were absolutely you know, exemplary in terms of the way they went and shielded him. I think that was amazing. As you said, Simon Kajar, you know, fantastic, fantastic. Um, you know, the way he obviously got him into the um, recovery position and then went and comforted his wife, Kasper Michael as well, the referee. Um, Andre Marino did a fantastic job in stopping the match and making sure that Ericsson was able to kind of um, get the treatment that he needed. And then, of course, you know, the fantastic medical team at the stadium. So, you know, I, I'm very, very grateful that all those people were involved and, you um, yeah, I'm just, honestly just totally, totally relieved. And, and it kind of, you know, you just makes you, you know, forget about all the football inside. Honestly, I'm just so, so grateful that everything's okay with Ericsson. So that's that's all that's all the concern for me. Totally agree. Jace, coming over to you, would you surprise the fact that the game still went ahead later on? I mean, I know it was suggested that, you know, both teams were playing, they wanted to play. There was obviously the option also to play the following day. Um, it definitely seems as you would expect to have a massive impact on Denmark you know I think mentally those players to have to then go back out and play the game and resume it you could just tell rightly so their heads just weren't quite in it were you surprised by the fact that they did want to play just straight after I'm not so sure I could have done that um 
obviously they they had time to sit down. They presume they got some message maybe from the hospital that look, you know, he's, he's stabilised, he's, he's sitting up and and things, and they and uh, which they probably took as good news or a good sign. Uh, and credit as well to Finland because you know it, it's easy to assume that, that only Denmark was a, was um, was affected by it, but the Finns, you know, they're, they're professional footballers watching another human being suffering like that, and uh, I don't think it matters what nationality or. You know, I think we'd have felt the same if it was Granite Xhaka or someone in the earlier game. It just, it's, you know, it pales into insignificance, clubs and, and countries and things like that, isn't it? It's another human being. So I think, you know, credit to both sets of players. But I think you could tell Denmark were distracted. I mean, you know, our own player, Hoiberg, ironically wearing 23, Spurs Dane wearing 23, uh, taking a having to take a penalty that if Ericsson was on the pitch, he'd have taken himself. And I'm sure... Hoiberg's mind would have thought, hold on, I'm not supposed to be taking this. And that that's not an excuse for him missing it. But I think, you know, that you looked at the goal and Kasper Schmeichel would normally save that. And there was a couple of other things that you just think that, you know, probably wouldn't have happened in the game. But uh, full credit to them for doing it. It must have taken a, a lot of guts when you, you looked at Delaney and, and, and uh, Christensen and people like that visibly distressed themselves. Um, and, it, and you know, and Kier himself had to go off in the end, didn't he, during the game? So full credit to everyone involved, but it been a, a very tough time, I'm sure. And it's just you know something that let's hope we don't see it again. But it, sadly, these things do happen with with Vivian Foe and people like that. But uh, you know, it it happens with with us and Moama. It's it's kind of happened with us and, and Ericsson again, and it's not something you ever want to see. That's for sure. Jay, was you quite? you know, touched by how fans all kind of came together, especially on social yeah. media. You know, we talk about how social media can be quite um, a divisive tool. Um, but mm-hmm. the outpouring of love for Ericsson, regardless of whoever club it was, we talk about Arsenal fans, regardless of whoever they are, any kind of fan, you don't want to see that happening to a player or a human being. I mean, yeah. I thought it was quite touching to see everybody just pull together so much just to, you know, willingly hope Ericsson pulls through. And, you know, thankfully, as things stand at the moment, he is stable and um, mm. like I say, future does you know remain, remain a question mark, but thankfully the guy has still got his life. Yeah, I mean the the reaction kind of on on social media and from all football fans, you said was was fantastic. And of course, I think the the chanting in the stadium as well, um, where they're all you know the Finnish fans and the uh, the Danish fans all singing his name, and that was just incredible. Um, and, and you know, fantastic, fantastic from the footballing community. I think we've seen all the sort of gestures the players have been doing. Ericsson, the way Lukaku celebrated and kind of went up to the camera, Sonny. Um, I think there was one in the the Austria North Macedonia game. Everyone, you know, sending tributes. So, you know, there's been a really, really good reaction to it. Um, but look, I mean, on just on Ericsson as a player. I mean, you know, for me, easily one of the best Spurs players of my lifetime. I mean, easily up there as one of the best Premier League, mid, you know, creative midfielders. You know, the numbers suggest that. So, um, yeah, you know, I, I, as I said, I'm just totally, totally relieved. It was the first thing I thought of this morning. That I'm just so grateful that Ericsson's still alive. I don't care what else happens on the pitch. That for me, uh, that's all. That's all that I'm re- just totally relieved about and so happy about. Yeah, man. And like I say, our thoughts, our prayers go out to Christian and his family. Wish him well, and let's like say wish him a very, very healthy recovery. And fingers crossed. Like I say we do see him one day back in a football shirt. And listen, let's see what the future holds. But we're going to go for a very quick break. Taking you into this break, we're going to hear from Tottenham Hotspurs brand new managing director of football, Fabio Paratici. Then after, we'll be back to discuss the man and what is lying ahead for him at Tottenham Hotspur. Don't go anywhere. We're back after this very, very short break. Good afternoon to everybody. And uh, it's my pleasure. It's an honour and 
and I'm so happy, so excited to 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 join Spurs. Uh, I'm so happy to join Premier League Spurs UK for me, and will be a very good experience, very big experience for me and for my family too. So I'm so excited and so happy about it. I'm going to ask you what you know about Spurs at the moment, Fabio, because we've been on a journey and you've seen a lot of that journey because we've actually played you twice in the Champions League in recent years, haven't you? Yeah, we met two years ago in Champions League. It was a big, big uh, matches, okay, two big matches. And uh, I know Tottenham is fantastic, amazing club. He, he did so good in the last 20 years. He built fantastic stadium, he built fantastic training ground. He has a big squad, so I I hope to 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 have this kind of, to to arrive to this kind of of uh, level eh, for the next years, and I hope to help the club to to stay in this level and to be better also to build something good, to build something better in the next in the next years. Managing director of the football side, what does that entail? What will you be doing here? I did this uh, job. Lot of years here in Juve it was a fantastic experience, and uh, I have to manage the football department. So first team uh, recruitment, academy, women. So for me, the, the football is not just a, a job; it's my life. Uh, I think 24-hour football. So this is, I think, my my first skill, and uh, I hope to. To, to to have this kind of, to arrive to this kind of, of level for, for sports also. Fabio, I'd just like to ask you about our fans. Now, we've got this wonderful stadium. Our fans are incredible and such an important part of this club. What do you think about this fan base you're walking into now? Your Spurs family. Thank you for, for uh, to receive me in, the, in, in your family. This is the first. Thank you. This is a great opportunity for me to join us. And uh, what we can promise is to work hard, to work hard every day for arrive on our target. This is what we can promise and we have to do for to do better. Another aspect of, of, of you joining Spurs, obviously you're now going to come and live in England. Are you looking forward to that? Yeah, it's, like I said, I, it's a big experience and uh, I'm so happy and so excited. New experience always give uh, energy, power, motivation. And I hope to, to, to give to the sports my, my passion for sure, my, my work, my time. And uh, I hope to build something very good and better than like we do before. Hello and welcome back to The Last Word on Spurs. Well, there you go. You just heard from Tottenham Hotspur's new managing director of football, Fabio Paratici, who actually takes up the official role from the 1st of July. But from what we understand here at The Last Word on Spurs, he's already started to plan and shape Spurs this summer. And it's clear that Daniel Levy has played and put plenty of trust in the 48-year-old Italian Jace, let's come round to you. Um, we've seen, we discussed it actually a couple of weeks ago, this model tried 
and tested from Tottenham, failed on the majority of occasions. But this is a brand new role, really, for Spurs in having a manager director of football, someone who's actually going to have more control of the club than quite simply ever before under Daniel Levy. I think many will be asking, though, just how much will he have? And I've got a good question to start with here. Dave Shepherd says, why didn't Paratici say the word win or winning once in his introduction? Can we hold that against him? <laughs> uh, I don't know. That's, that's a bit harsh. I mean, he's come from a, from a club that are used to winning and have a culture of winning in Juve. So, um, and I'm sure he knows he has a very difficult job at, at Tottenham. Um, I would have preferred it to have been somebody with, with a real knowledge of, of English football or the culture of English football or that knew uh, more about Tottenham. But um, it's not to be. And, you know, as a CV, I'm sure he's a first-class candidate. Um, but I suspect that when you're dealing with Juventus, you're, you're shopping sometimes in a different market with different advantages than you are with Tottenham. Um, the fact that we'll come on to Daniel's, Daniel's comments later, but he said he is in, totally in charge of football operations. He's in charge of who leaves this summer. I thought that's a case of Daniel saying to him, well, Harry Kane's going to be leaving on his watch, not on mine type of thing. Um, but uh, it remains to be seen. You know, we've all we've all said we want Daniel to step back from it. Daniel, of course, will still have an input onto the overall budget of the football club. And then it's it's up to Paratici to make that budget work in the best possible way, which is which is the, the way it should be. Um, and he'll he'll sort targets and he'll sort the scouting networks and he'll sort the analysts and things like that. So we've all called for Daniel to step back from the, the role of it. And so, you know, we've got our own way in that respect. And now it's just over to Paratici to do the, the best possible job for us. And hopefully, hopefully it works. But as I say, you know, people have still got to understand that if if Paratici wants to spend 200 million, he can't do. But, you know, that's that's always going to come from above. Um, but that's how it has to be. You know, he gets the budget and then it's up to him to make that budget work. So we'll see how it works out, mate. But hopefully, hopefully it will enable us to uh, to move on. Um, it remains to be seen. Yep, so, so true. I mean, Jay, coming over to you, he's believed to have attempted on numerous occasions to try and bring Paratici to N17. He finally has got his man. Um, he's going to become, as we understand, the face and the voice of the club's hierarchy. Now, in Italy, the way this would work, that normally, um, along with the manager, it's actually the managing director of football that would also appear quite often in terms of press conferences. Like I say, he would, like I say, be quite um, a man that would speak out. It's interesting because, obviously, one of the criticisms of the board is that there isn't really that face to the board. There isn't really that person that does answer the question in terms mm-hmm. of communication. But what Spurs are seem to be doing here is they are providing that person now to be able to give that communication. And I just wonder, you know, in a way, for journalists, for us as fans, does that give more clarity as to what the future holds for the club and, you know, in terms of dealings with transfers, negotiations as such? Yeah, I mean, look, there's something that we've spoken about in the last word in Spurs. We never really know what the plan is at Spurs. And that, and that because I think Daniel Levy even said it on his, um, on his, kind of his chat that he had when, in terms of what the club released. He said that he likes to do things in private, but that's what I think has caused a lot of issues at the club and has caused a real kind of divide between the people running the club and the supporters because we simply don't know what's going on. So... Potentially, if we do now have a face of someone running the club, then uh, I think that's a really positive step in the right direction. And, and and the other thing I really hope that we have brought in is because I think over the last two years since we got to the Champions League final, I think one thing that we've done is, you know, the club thought, look, we got to the Champions League final. Clearly, this is a fantastic squad. And I think that that really wasn't the case. I think it needed a re- real refresh after the after, straight after the final when the club have really kind of less, rested on their laurels. And um 
you know, they've gone with this squad. And I think I really hope now that they've finally realised that this club, this squad needs a major refresh. You know, they've got in a, a guy like Paratici, who's got this, you know, obviously track record and ability, you know, a range of contacts and uh, ability to be able to move players on, bring players in. And you just hope that he's kind of been brought in to really refresh this squad. I think that's, you know, we've had a real issue in terms of offloading players, getting the right fees for players, you know, and then our recruitment's been shocking as well. So you just hope that um, he, he has been really brought in to kind of really refresh this squad because we need to move on now because, you know, it's, it's been far too long where we've really tried to kind of rest on, on the players that we've had under Pochettino and hope to try and squeeze every inch, um, you know, every um, inch of, of their ability out still. And um, it, it's really time for a refresh now. And, and you just hope that Paratici is the man to kind of bring that refresh to Spurs. Just to give me, Jamie, we've got a couple of questions here. Hazifa at Hazivam7 says, what players, what level of calibre do you think Pablo can bring into the club? All his connections and work rate, which you touched upon. And also Hoji Christian MTHFC says, will we begin to scout heavily from the Italian league or will we stay away and still look more often to places like France? I'm just thinking, Jay God, the amount of links that we've had to Tuta Mercato, uh, Jason's <laughs> obviously favourite transfer source for all the latest Tottenham Hotspur rumours throughout the summer. Um, you know, Core Corea Delia Sport, we obviously know very well. Mm. Um, do you think we're going to be inundated now, flooded with transfer stories from Italy about players coming and going? Oh, yes, I can. I can imagine that. I can definitely imagine now Delhi Hotspur and last one Spurs pumping out lots of uh, lots of load of rubbish rumours. But um, no, I, I think we will. I think that's kind of where his main contacts are going to be. Um, I think he was even kind of spotted in Italy in kind of one of the facilities where he um, does a lot of his, where he's been doing a lot of the dealings. Uh, or trying to bring players in. So I'm sure we will be linked with a lot of Italian players. And it's, you, know, you see how Italian footballs, you know, really seem to have come along. I mean, we saw them at the Euros. There's been a lot of, you know, top top players that they've starting to produce now in Italy. So maybe there's there's a market there for, for players, but we'll have to wait and see what happens. I can't, I can't quite, I can't tell at the moment whether we'll be sticking there, but we'll have to wait and see. Gonna ask Jason that. Jace, for you, course ball, uh Di Matteo, I think we've got them over there. We've got two some Macato Web. I mean, how much are you looking forward to so much more Italian rumours and links coming our way this summer? Well, we, we always get loads from Tutti Frutti or whatever they're called, don't we? So, But then, you know, we're linked with 230 players by Jamie Brown and yourself most, most summers anyway, which, you know, one summer we bought naught of the 230. So uh, I think the last player we got from Italy is Lamella, isn't it? Is that Lamella yeah, our last is, Italian yeah. import? Yep, I that's think it true. probably is. Yep. So hopefully the, the next one has more success. Whoa, 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 whoa. Forgot Fazio. No, oh, did Fazio come with No, Fazio him? went to Italy. Oh, he, he went came to from, Italy. Did he come okay. from Seville? Right. Just didn't want to make sure came, we had this respect uh, went. That's he right. went there. and, and right. uh, um, So I think Lamella is the last one. But uh, it's, it's that's that's my worry is that, that he knows that Italian league really well. And don't get me wrong, he could well sign a player that's, that's a a fantastic player in Italy, but there's always that that problem. How do they adapt to the Premier League? And one or two is fine, but I think if we sign seven or eight players and they all come from Serie A, that that will be the problem. And he'll uh, he'll still look to the English markets and one or two of the other markets as well, where where you know I think there's probably more suited to having that type of player. But uh, you know it's. Is credited with, I mean, you know, somebody said, oh, he took Ronaldo to Juventus, but it was hardly a spot, was it? You know, Cristiano Ronaldo wasn't exactly an unheard of player that 
you know, when he went to Man United, that was the real time to get but Ronaldo. Many would argue then, Jay, um, it's, it takes quite a lot to get a deal done of that magnitude. When you get, you know, player image rights and stuff like that, which we found on allegedly with Dybala, for example. You know, yeah. It's a quite well, a big deal to do. Yeah, no, that, that suggests he can get a big deal done, but Tottenham won't be trying to do a deal along that scale anyway, will they? So, uh, you know, Joe Roden from Swansea won't be the type of deal that uh, should be as difficult to do as Cristiano Ronaldo would have been. But, uh, uh, you know, it remains to be seen that it, it's, you know, it's, it's a it's a year of transition at Tottenham. We, like I said, we all called for Daniel to step back. He's taken a step back. Let's not try and judge Paratici too early. Let's let's have a look at the work he does. You know, uh, as I say, for me, I'd have sooner somebody for, with a better knowledge in the Premier League, but I'm not going to write the bloke off. Let's let's give him a chance to do his job and see what happens. I, th- I think the other thing where he would have had success as well in terms of bringing players in is that he can really, you know, at Juventus, they can hoover up all the talents from, from Serie A. So I think that that's where, you know, Spurs, we're not going to have that same level of attraction where we're going to be able to go and get the very top players from Serie A. So I think that, that that would definitely be a concern. I mean, even just, you know, one off the top of my head, I remember they got um, Dybala from, I think it was Palermo. So, you know, that that's kind of, that maybe is a worry where, you know, Juventus were able to go and hoover up whoever they wanted. Um, I think it's Spurs, you know, I think, Jason, you made the point, you know, I think we're going to be definitely shopping in kind of a different level um, from what Juve were. So maybe that, maybe that's a bit of a concern on that front. I think, like I say, we've already seen that apparently he's trying to work his magic in this summer transfer window. We've seen numerous links already for Spurs players to go out the club. And Serge Aurier has publicly said he would like a way, one to keep an eye on. We've seen uh, this weekend Moussa Sissoko being linked with a move to Napoli. Again, another one to keep an eye on. I've never seen uh, Twitter so excited by the prospect of Spurs moving on a player in Sissoko. One to definitely keep an eye on. But, um, you know, from what we understand, a lot of Spurs players have been told, or several of them have been told, they can actually leave this summer. Their agents have been informed they can look for prospective new clubs as we have to try and shake up this squad. Now, Spurs have already got 15 million euros. That equates to 12.8 million in Great British pounds in the bank this week. Arthur Villarreal took up their option to sign one fourth permanently. I can see Jamie Brown shaking his head. I mean, I would imagine, Jamie, just coming to you on that, it could have been a lot more, couldn't it, for one fourth? And a player that really, um, when you look at, I think he made a total of, I think, 35, 35 appearances for Tottenham overall. Um, one that maybe some will feel kind of got away, but in, a, in the same way, I would say, was he maybe just not suited to the English Premier League? I think there was, I think there was a bit of that, wasn't there? Um, I think in, in La Liga, he's going to have much more time on the ball. And I think that was something that made him really stand out as a defender. I think that he was, he did seem so comfortable in possession. Um, and in England, you just don't have that sort of time on the ball. So, you know, maybe there was that situation where, you know, in England, it's, it, he just didn't quite suit it. But for me, I, I still look at him and the job that he did in terms of helping Villarreal uh, win the Europa League. I think he's done. A, I think he's done a very good job there. And you know, the one position we do need is a right back. And and if you look at kind of the style of, of centre backs that um, Fonseca has had at Roma, I think that Foyt maybe would kind of suit that. So um, or, or suit under Fonseca. So. I'm definitely a bit disappointed. I'm definitely disappointed with the fee that we got for him. But, uh, you know, I, th- I think you do make the good point as well. Maybe he just wasn't suited to the English game. But even so, you know, I, I think there was a talented player in there. So disappointed. The fee was more or less agreed last year, though, wasn't it? Yeah. The, start yeah. Of the loan, yeah. Yeah. The, the loan was an was a option to buy at 13 million or whatever it was at the, at, uh, a year ago. So there was nothing we could do with the fee. And I suppose once he played 30-odd games and they, they've gone on to... To win the Europa League, he was it was a deal. You know, he was always then going to take up that option, probably. So it's not a surprise. But like, he <laughs> was a player that that seemed to have a ricket every single game in him, um, and very very comfortable on the ball. But 
you know, so often perhaps not that that sense of awareness of danger. That was always my worry that, you know, it didn't seem to matter where on the pitch he was, he'd, he'd try something. And uh, I like to see players express themselves with the ball, but uh, sometimes you've got to have a little bit of sense of awareness. And I think he, he played once, didn't he, for Jose, was it at Norwich? And was that a Boxing Day game last season, wasn't it? Where he, 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 uh, he immediately gave the ball away. Yeah, I don't think you've had the ball away. Yep. Yep, gave the ball away. And from that moment on, you know, you thought it's not, you know, he's not, a Jose player and um, a good career, but let's be fair, he's gone to Villarreal. He hasn't gone to Atletico Madrid or Barcelona or something. And and that's probably where he'll he'll prosper and he may well move on to a better club in time. But uh, it's it's not one that I'm sitting here thinking, God, I wish we hadn't sold him. Interestingly, I say we've got 12.8 million in the bank then for one four if this thing stands. We're going to receive around 5 million from Marcus Edwards' 10 million move from Victoria to Sporting Lisbon. I think the question will be on this, Jace, coming to you, is that, you know, Spurs' priority this summer, as we understand, is a new centre-back and any money brought in, they'll look to address that problem first. The question obviously will be is just, you know, how much of the money accumulated from player sales will actually go back into Paratici's purse to then go out and spend? A question that we don't know the answer to. But is it difficult to know the answer to that when Daniel Levy is still saying that for Spurs, they're in the middle of a pandemic, that stadium isn't generating money for them? Difficult to know how much Paratici is going to have to spend from those player sales. I think it is. And I think we all know the... Uh... <coughs> The, the big check that that might come his way, and uh, you know, it may well be that we have to we have to get that big check in for him to to really have money to to move on it. So my my feel, I mean, we'll come on to what Daniel said, but there was there was lots of warning signs within that speech that they're not looking to splash the cash. Put it that way. Um, I'm sure if I'm sure anything we sell will go back into the transfer budget but how much of the actual budget on top of what we sell whether it's 40 50 million I shouldn't think it's much more than 40 million maximum just interesting you know we we have seen that Paratici has been heavily involved in selecting the club's next head coach as in the need of a director of football structure um, he looks like he's seemingly chosen Paolo Fonseca now there would have been arguments to say his first choice probably would have been Antonio Conte because he's worked with him for such a, a long time obviously that didn't facilitate. We know what happened there. We've been there. We've done it. We discussed it on last week's last one on Spurs. If you haven't seen that show, go back and give that a listen. But like I say, it looks like Fonseca is the man that is going to be chosen to be Tottenham's next head coach. And what we understand is that he was identified by Paratici because he plays the attacking brand of football the club ideally wanted to return to. And he has a reputation for improving players at his own disposal. Now, again, we're going to come on to this when we discuss Parat- uh, We're going to come on to this when we discuss Fonseca in more detail. But um, you know, he's inevitably known Paratici for being a supreme talent spotter and expert in getting difficult deals done, whereby they might be for huge fees or free transfers. But there were some critics in Italy that say he was struggling to offload players, something which is, will be key for Spurs this summer because we know, um, speaking to. <laughs> If you speak to a lot of Spurs fans, there's seemingly quite a number of players that have quite simply had their day here and we need to try and move on. I mean, we must say some of his best transfers do include the likes of Ronaldo, Paul Pogba, Andrea Perlo, Paolo Dybala, Carlos Tevez, Arturo Vidal, Kingsley Coman. But I mean, I think it's fair to say when you've been at a club for 11 years, Jay, coming over to you, there are bound to be a few missteps along the way. And Paratici is no different. You know, there's been players such as Gonzalo Higuain, didn't really quite work out for him um, at Juve there. We've had Aaron Ramsey reportedly huge wages, more than 400,000 a week. That at the moment looks like it's been proven to be a costly mistake. Yeah. We've had the Cancelo swap deal for Danilo as well. That hasn't quite worked out. And the Marilyn Pajanaxal as well. Um, I think it's fair to say that, you know, with regards to Paratici, 
a lot of people looking and saying, well, hold on a second, whilst he's had some some great, you know, times at Juventus, towards the end, it hasn't been so great. But is that going to always happen? You've got someone that's been there for quite a number of years. There's always going to be a bit of, you know, yeah. pros and cons. Yeah, I would, I would have thought so. I think, as you said, you know, he's been there 10, 11 years. So, you know, to have that much, spend that amount of time at one club and then, of course, the amount of control he would have had, I'm, I'm sure there would have been some mistakes eventually. But um, I think if you look at where he took them from, um, I think they'd just come back up from Serie, Serie, Serie B, Serie B, Serie B, Serie B. Um, and, you know, and then he's obviously taken them to kind of, multiple league titles. I think they won nine consecutive Serie A titles. So kind of the way that he re-established them as one of these top clubs, I think the perception that people were saying, well, you know, Juventus, they should be winning the league titles. Well, I think that that perception was set by him, uh, was was set by him because he's, you know, he took over as a stage where, as I said, they come up back up from the, the second tier of Italian football and he really re-established them. And, you know, that's kind of, a, it's obviously not the exact same position that Spurs were in, but, you know, we're a club that, that's desperate to re-establish ourselves as a top four club, as a as a team trying to challenge for trophies. So, um, you know, I think there's, I think in terms of success, he's definitely had a lot more success than he had failures. And as, I know she said, I think there was always going to be a case where there were going to be some failures. You know, you're never going to get everything spot on, especially with that much control over that period of time. So um, I think if you look more at the successes, I think, I, I, that's what I'm confident about. So, yeah. I mean, Joe, just to come on to you to kind of summarise for him, he was responsible for restructuring the scouting, the academy and delivery of the Juventus women and Juventus under-23 teams. And in November 2018, mm. he assumed that position of Chief Football Officer from October 2020 and then that of the Managing Director of Football Area. And I say during that time, as Jamie's reference, he's had one nine. He was in part of this club that won 19 titles and trophies, including their first Serie A title in eight seasons in 2011-12, sparking a run of nine successive Scudettos, as well as five Coppa Italia titles. I mean, he's a man that's come from a club that's used to winning. We're just hoping it's going to rub off on our club. Well, there's a number of people that have come to our club from, from serial winners, aren't they? We've just had a serial winner. And as I've said numerous times, you know, you look at it, Serge Aurier, Lucas Moura, Toby Alderweireld, Victor Wanyamas, uh, Moussa Dembele's, they all won league titles, Jan Vertonghen's, Christian Eriksen's, they've all won league titles before they've come to Tottenham. They're all big trophy winners. Hugo Lloris has won a World Cup, you know, all those players have won things. But when it's come to Tottenham and it all goes into the melting pot, the, the recipe's wrong and for whatever the reason it doesn't doesn't come through does it and then those players leave Tottenham and they, they go and win as soon as they leave Tottenham as well Kieran Trippi has just won a league title for God's sake so uh, hopefully it rubs off but there's been so many people that come through the door and we, we constantly say it let's hope it rubs off let's hope it rubs off and it never quite does so uh, it remains to be seen I, I think it's exactly that. I mean, look, we, we all were getting very excited on the last one, Spurs, about Jose Mourinho coming and bringing this winning culture. Well, I don't think any manager would have come through the door and changed the culture of the club. I don't think any sporting director coming through the door is going to change the culture of the club. The culture of the club is set by the people who own the, own the club and the people that set, they are the ones that set the standard. You know, for me, I think Chelsea is, net, as much as it really hurts to say this, they've, they set the example of how the owners set the mentality of the club. A poor season for Chelsea, but they've still come away with the European Cup. Um, you know, it, it kind of in the in the key decisions, Frank Lampard, as soon as he stops doing well, he's, he's gone out the door. Timo Werner has a difficult season. They want to go and buy Lukaku or Haaland. Obviously, Spurs, we're not run like that. But I think if you look at kind of the, the mentality and the fixation that their owners have on winning, 
you know, it's no wonder why they are so successful and they've won 20 or so trophies since we last won a trophy um, because the culture of the club is set by the people that own it. So Paratici coming in won't make a difference. Jose Mourinho was never going to make a difference. Ponte coming in was never going to make a difference. You know, Enoch and the owners were the ones, the only people that are truly going to make a difference in, in changing the mentality of the club. And uh, I'm not sure they ever will. Let's see. Jay, just have interest. Paratici, do you see it being a long-term appointment for Tottenham? Do you see him being around for a long time? Or is it difficult to know at this moment in time in terms of, you know, manager appointments? If you had to put your neck on there, what would you say? Uh, it's, it's, I think he'll certainly, uh, he'll be around for certainly two, I would think he'll go through two years. But then, you know, it remains to be seen what happens over those two years, doesn't it? Because if, if for instance, Fonseca, we, we don't know what will happen, but if Fonseca comes in, and he's sacked before the end of a season. And then Paratici picks another manager who's sacked before the end of that season. Then the questions start to get answered, doesn't it? If Fonseca comes in and we, we finish fourth, then, then we'll all think, well, it was all, you know, it, it's done the job. So it will be results on the pitch that dictate our, our view of whether it's worked or not. And then and also the players that are recruited. I mean, if he brings in three or four players and they're all flops, the, the, the fingers are already pointing at him, aren't they? And, you know, when Daniel makes the speech that he did yesterday and, and quite clearly says he's in charge of all football operations, then um, he's, he's firmly putting it all onto, onto his lap saying, well, don't blame me if it goes wrong. So uh, and <laughs> we know what Daniel's like when people start, when he, when he envisages people are getting it wrong. So even in the week of a cup final, he's not surprised to, to pull the plug on people. So, you know, it remains to be seen, Rick. But let's, yep. let's hope, let's, like I say, we've all asked for Daniel to step back from the football side. It's the first, the first step we all wanted. So over to, over to Paratici and let's give the man a chance to do his job. What do you reckon, Jake? I'm over to you. If you had to stick your neck out, do you see the support being a long-term solution for Tottenham? Was it just difficult to say at the moment? Yeah, no, I, I think Jason got it spot on there. I think it's it's difficult to tell now. You know, you're going to, ultimately, he will be just judged on the success he has. And he, you know, he could turn out to be a complete disaster. Me personally, I'm, I'm quite excited to see him at the club. Obviously, as we said, he's done pretty good job at, at Juventus. You know, it's going to be, you know, hopefully he's given that full control to kind of go and do what he wants. Obviously, he'll be working in reason. He'll be set a certain budget. But, uh, you know, let's hope he's not, once he's set that budget and once he's set the parameters, then kind of the people above him aren't getting interfering after that. Um, so I have to wait and see. I think it's, as, as Jason said, it's, you know, you can't say yet because he could, he could next two managers could be a complete disaster and yeah. he's gone or they could be a success. So I have to wait and see. Yeah, we'll talk about the powers that be. We're going to go for our next break. Taking into the next break, we're going to hear from Daniel Levy, who gave an exclusive interview to Spurs TV over the weekend, where he discussed what it's like to manage Spurs at the moment from a chairman's perspective. And yeah, commenting on a number of issues around Spurs. We're going to be discussing that next after this very, very short break. Phoenix 51 is a powerful employee technology enabling organizations to make data-driven decisions at every stage of the employee journey from hiring through benchmarking and development too. The platform provides detailed analytics on the most important asset in your business, your people, enabling organizations not only to make the correct hiring decisions, but also how to benchmark, train and retain them. Phoenix 51, powering your people decisions through every part of the employee journey. Thanks for your time today. First of all, we've announced Fabio as Managing Director of the football side. I've known Fabio for a number of years, obviously from Juventus. We had a number of discussions over the years. He was a very, very tough negotiator, um, very knowledgeable, 
Um, I've got a lot of admiration for him and I think he'll be a, a great addition to our management team. Everything to do with the, the football side of the club, he will have responsibility for. Obviously, recruitment is one element, uh, but he'll be working closely with, with Steve Hitchin and all the analysts and uh, all, all the scouting department. Juventus has been a highly successful club. Uh, he's been a major part of that and hopefully some of that will rub off on top. Have you got any news on a new head coach? What's been interesting, I mean, I must have had about 30 different names from fans. Some of the individuals that have been mentioned in the media uh, that has apparently rejected us, um, we haven't even spoken to. I don't want to comment on any one individual. Lots of things get reported. All I would say to you is, until we make something official, that's the only thing that fans ought to believe in. Is it hard for you when misinformation comes in the form of personal criticism? We see how much work you put into this club every day. People around the club know you in a very different way to how you are portrayed in the media. Do you know, I, I get lots of personal criticism. And one of the reasons is that I'm the type of individual that I like to do things in private. Um, I don't like to criticise other people in a public way. And if I did, then I would be protecting my own name. But I want to protect the club and I want to behave with dignity. At this moment in time, I, I'm not going to change the way I am and I want to do things in private. There's been a lot of speculation about Harry Kane. Look, I'm never going to talk specifically about an individual player in public. All I would say is his frustrations of us not winning is shared by me and I'm sure all the fans and the players. Clearly, we all want to win. I think you know one of the, the items that uh, Fabio will have to deal with when he comes in is you know, which players are being uh, retained, which players will be asked to look for other clubs. Um, but obviously, there's a market out there and you know, it's what we want and what somebody else wants is not always possible to achieve. Um, we'll do whatever is right for the, uh, for the club. Generally, there's a view that if we invest X into players, then that's going to equate to success. The financial consequences of buying and selling players, that's one area that if you don't get right, um, it can have dire consequences. We have to be realistic where we are today. You know, we've just, we're still in a pandemic. Uh, the consequences for this particular club have probably been more severe than any other club in the Premier League, over 200 million of lost revenue, revenue that we cannot recover. Um, our timing on opening a new stadium could not have been worse. You know, we have the most expensive stadium in Europe, um, the highest le level of debt of any club in Europe, but luckily for us, it's all long term. It's you know, we're in a good financial position in that sense, but you know we're not getting the revenues that we had hoped for from our stadium, and as a consequence, we're going to have to be careful over the next coming years um, because we we need to be prudent, and our our duty is to protect the club, even though obviously we want to win. Sustainability is clearly one of the biggest things that that football clubs throughout Europe. Uh, are now facing. Uh, there are a number of clubs that are in very, very severe financial difficulty. We will spend, um, but you know we're a self-sustaining club. We have to be sensible. Sometimes uh, fans think we ought to be spending, but there have been circumstances where actually the coach doesn't want us to spend on a particular player. And again, we would never make comment. And um, all I would say is we will make investment in the squad. And of course, this money has to come from somewhere. Firstly, we have financial fair play. Uh, we've always been a club that has uh, managed to finance everything within its own means. Everything I've worked for for the last 20 years in this club is in this club. In 20 years, we've invested um, approximately 1.4, 1.5 billion 
uh, into capital assets. Um, at the same time, you know, we have over that period um, progressed on, on the pitch, perhaps not as much as we all would have liked. I often read in the, uh, in the media about uh, some of our fans criticising that we don't care about the club, we just care about, about money. Um, and what I'd say to them is every single penny that goes into this club, whatever the revenue source is, whether that is purely football or whether that is third party events like conferencing or concerts, um, it's all going back into the team. Every single penny that comes into this club will go back into the team. All we want now, having spent all these years getting the, the infrastructure at this club in the most fantastic position, is to invest in the team. We take a long term view. We have to protect this club. We're custodians of it. Everyone on this board, we are fans. You know, when we go to a game and then we don't win, you know, it ruins a complete weekend. We feel the pain when we don't get success. They often say that patience is a virtue. Um, and that's one thing you definitely have to have in football because things can change so quickly, positive and negatively. We all know where we were two years ago. Are we satisfied where we are today? Absolutely not. Um, and we need to turn it around. But we need to make sure that this club is still in a sound financial position in the years to come. We need that success on the pitch now. My view is that we've got unfinished business. Hello and welcome back to The Last Word on Spurs. We've just heard from Daniel Levy there, Tottenham Hotspur's chairman, and having to sound quite a number of topics around the football club. One of them, Jace, being the criticism that he gets from Tottenham fans and you know the club lurching from one PR disaster to another over the past 18 months. We've seen protests outside, inside the stadium against the chairman. Levy had previously indicated he does not allow criticism to affect him. But watching that interview, Jace, for me, you know, he clearly seems to have been affected by the criticism. And that's one thing that seemed to be very, very poignant throughout that, you know, very short interview that he wanted to make it clear that, you know, he was very, very, I thought, very self-defensive. Um, I don't know what you thought of that interview and how that kind of come across. You know, somebody who's comfortable with publicly speaking, that isn't really heard, does not help his cause when he's humanising himself in any way. What did you make of that interview from Daniel Levy? I think, I think the first thing is he has been affected by the criticism and that's why he's done the interview. We've never seen him do it before. And I think, you know, those that have, those that have pushed and those at the protests and things, you know, you, you have to a degree, you know, you have thrown a stone at him, if you like, and you have got a reaction from him and he has heard the, the complaints. I'm not saying everything's going to change just like that, but those voices have been heard. And I think that's, that's what's made him come out and, and give an interview like that. The problem is, I suppose, with the interview, he wrote the questions. Um, he decided the answers. He, he was arranging the edit. So, you know, they were very much questions tailored, tailored for him. But at least at least there were one or two questions that were asked that, you know, <laughs> even if it wasn't Jeremy Paxman asking them, you know, at least they were being asked. Um, I thought he talked, he talked quite boldly of what he wants for the club. But then when you hear the details of the message and he talks about how we've been affected by the pandemic more than more than any other club and, you know, we're 200 million and we can't do this, and we can't do that. Uh, every penny we make from outside activities goes to the club and things. There's still that, that thought of um, as, as bold as the talk is, we're not going to be bold in what we do. Uh, and to dare is to do will remain just a, a slogan around the ground rather than, than what it needs to be. But, um, and, and I thought just, the, you know, the way he was asked about the Harry Kane question 
and then immediately saying, well, Paratici will decide all footballing matters. <laughs> to me, it was just a case of, look, we're going to sell him and I don't want to be the man who sells him, so I'm going to blame Paratici for, for doing the selling. And I'll get that one off me back straight away. But, um, you know, <laughs> every club has been affected by the pandemic. Um, and, and as Jamie said, it's the culture of the club. I mean, you know, the culture of the club really hit me this week when we get a survey round and every single question about it was was to do with the was the sponsors of the club. You know, will I buy a car from Cinch? Will I will I bet with William Hill? Do I do I know that Hugo Boss is our suit supplier? I don't care. Just tell me what's happening. I know the commercial activities are important for a club, but you know, it's it's what happens on the pitch is is what I want to be known about. I don't care if they turn up in a Hugo Boss suit or I don't care if they turn up in a Primark pair of flip-flops. I just want them to turn up on the pitch when it matters and I don't care how they turn up at the stadium or what they look like and what earphones they have and what their car is and what their, you know. I mean, we have betting partners. I, I bet on football, but I don't bet on the partner that Tottenham Hotspur chooses. I bet on the one that I want. So, you know, it makes no difference to me. But uh, and that was the problem with the culture of the club. You know, it's an important time. Somebody sends a message round or a survey round when we still haven't got a manager to support us and season ticket holders. And the culture of the club should be hold on a minute. This is not the right time to send that survey round. But the, the club just go straight ahead with with matters like that. And so that's the culture that has to change. And Paratici can do as much of that on the pitch, but it's off the pitch and in the boredom that we really need that culture to change in all sorts of ways, not just not just on the pitch, it's how they relate to supporters, where their priorities lie as supporters and things like that. And, you know, so many of us are so disenchanted, so disconnected from Tottenham Hotspur. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm totally disconnected. I'm not in the least bit excited when that fixture list comes out. Uh, and I said to you last week, I'm more interested to see what the last game of next season is rather than the first game because I'm already dreading next season for being a transitional year. But but um, we are so disconnected and Daniel, you know, not just Paratici, Daniel has a lot of work to do to get fans back on board. And um, it, it's vital that he does it. And, and there was a lot of things in that interview that still gives me a lot of concerns that the, the, the connection that we need from supporters just won't be there. Yep. I mean, I'm going to come on to Jamie in a second. It's going to read out some of these listener questions. Matt at Matt Page 2000 says, what did you make of Mr. Levy's interview? Complete lies or empty promises? Question mark. Stephen Hyde says, is the financial position far worse than we all think? With that and the continuing uncertainty over the COVID situation and an expected fourth wave this autumn, is Levy right in getting us to accept prudent and clever team building for the next two years or so to ensure our survival? I see these questions keep coming in. Um, very interesting, I'll say, some of these questions. But I want to come on to you, Jay, because um, I think Jason picked up on it there. Whilst this interview answered some of the questions that were being put to him, it did also showcase an inability or a lack of interest, I thought, in order to kind of hold your hands up to the errors that were made, you know. And this was a chance, I thought, for you to kind of say to the fans, look, we've made some mistakes in the past couple of years. Um, we're only human. You know, we can, you know, we can be better. We will do better for you in this club. But that opportunity, Jay, just didn't seem to be taken. You know, um, I thought, as I said, it came across very defensive, no doubt in response to the criticism and the yeah, protest. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. while some fans, you know, they may have benefited from the attempts to the club situation in relation to asking some clarity, um, others still won't be swayed by that interview. You know, we saw in the yeah. past, Levy, um, he used to do fans forums occasionally. You would say probably because of COVID, that's not an option at the moment. But um, what did you make for you of how that interview kind of came across? Yeah. What was your thoughts I, on it? I, 
I, d- I thought it was a bizarre interview because I thought he'd, he'd kind of released something like that because he wanted to reassure fans, but there was no reassurance. As you said, you, you used the word defensive. It was exactly that. It was Daniel Levy kind of listing what we've done over the last two years and why we got into such a mess. And he was. it seemed like it was just kind of defending it. And, and that, for me, that interview was incredibly worrying because it does suggest that nothing's going to change because it was just kind of him defending all the decisions that he'd made. So, you know, we obviously... And anything he kind of said, you know, what, why should we kind of trust the club anymore? You know, the number of things where they've kind of, you know, all, you know, almost kind of lied, you know, almost lied to us, basically. I mean, you look at kind of, you know, the season ticket renewal was something that really annoyed me. I would have renewed anyway because I want to always support my team. But, you know, the fact that we were being linked with managers like Conte and Pochettino and then, you know, a couple of days after, it's all completely dead. I, that, that for me was bizarre. I thought the... Um, Obviously, the the Super League stuff was was bizarre, um, you know, and then all the kind of the other stuff that they've done in the past where it's, you know, there is that total disconnect between the club and, and the supporters. And uh, that's something I don't see ever changing because I think, as you said, that interview was, was bizarre for me. I, as I said, I felt it was him going to come out and say, look, we're, you know, we're reassuring you for the future and that we're get, looking to get back on the right track. But for me, it kind of, I didn't really see any of that. And uh yeah, I thought it was a very worrying interview because it, it does seem that they're probably going to continue on the way that we, we have over the last few years. So, yeah, I, very I think, point. I think as well, Jay, you know, when he when he turned around, he said no club's been as affected as we are by the pandemic and we're 200 million down in turnover. I accept the pandemic has, has had an impact on, on our turnover. Of course, it would have done empty stadiums and things like that. But part of that 200 million was our failure to qualify for the Champions League. That's to do on the pitch. Yeah. And this year, we didn't even qualify for the Europa League. So, you know, in the Champions League, if you qualify for the group stage, it's worth 50, 60 million. So, you know, you could say a third of that 200 million is purely down to what's happened on the pitch. And that is partly down to him and the investments and, and that and the decisions that we have made footballing wise. So, you know, not not all 200 million is purely down to the pandemic. And, you know, he, he was quick to point out how much we'd spent. It was it one and a half billion since whatever it was. But, you know, there's times when, you know, part of that spending is wrong. You know, the Ryan Nelson, Louis Saha type of spending the you know the cheap options that we've so often chose which which clearly don't work out rather than going for for the expensive options so you know the the, the way we spent the gareth bow cash uh, you know 100 million that year and, and and you know how much of that was really money well spent so you know there has been mistakes and and you're right jamie there was no no recognition of we have got things wrong. You know, we all know it. He's not going to be lynched. He's not going to be put a noose around his neck, but it would be nice if they could just come out and say, look, I have made mistakes. Uh, it won't correct to the past, but hopefully that you learn your lessons. The worry is that when he's just so defensive, the reasons that some of those mistakes have been made won't be rectified. And that's the worry that we'll continue to make the same mistakes over and over again. And it's it's almost the same on the pitch as it is off yeah. the pitch. Rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat. I think that's the phrase Lee uses. You know, we yeah. see the same players making the same mistakes. We see the same balls making the same mistakes. And the culture of that club has to change. I, I think as well, you know, Joe Roden, I think, was a perfect example of, of kind of that in terms of, you know, have we gone, instead of going from... Yeah. Milan Skriniar, we'd have got Milan Skriniar, maybe that could have made a very big difference. You know, would it necessarily have made a difference between us finishing the Champions League? I think that's maybe doubtful to say that. But look, if we'd have spent maybe an extra £30 million or £20 million, you know, we might be in a better competition and earning more money that way. 
And then, of course, but we've all, you know we've ended up with a cheap option. We went for Joe Roden, who I, I do think is a good player, and I think in time will be a good player. But this year, hardly used at all. A guy the manager just didn't want, and that and that's kind of where that's something that really has to change at the club. Jamie, just to stick with you, just want to ask you about his comments on Harry Kane. I feel like Jason said very well, side-shifted across to Paratici when he said, you know, Fabio will be the man now in control of the players that are coming in and out of the football club. So almost like Jason kind of referred to in the uh, beginning of the show, it's almost like it won't be on my watch that Harry Kane leaves the club. However, um, I think it did suggest that Spurs hadn't changed their mind on the subject. You know, they're they share their frustration in terms of not winning the same as Harry Kane. And as we understand, you know, any talk about Kane leaving is going to be put off until the Euros are over. Kane was actually asked about his Spurs future after England's first game of the Euros, where he said the rest of the stuff will happen, obviously, when I get back from the tournament. Now I'm fully focused when it comes to England. I'm not someone who listens to the noise anyway, whether it's good or bad, to be honest. I mean, what do you take from those comments from Harry Kane? Nothing really new or groundbreaking, but um, certainly not a uh, reassuring well, co- comment there from Harry Kane yeah. about his future. Well, of course, of course, they share the ambition that they want to win. Of course, everyone wants to win. No one wants to lose. But the problem is, is that different clubs show different level of ambitions in terms of wanting to win. And we don't show that level of actual show that level of ambition. Harry Kane, you know, we know he's one of the most ambitious footballers in, in the world, for sure. The way he's worked himself up, he, he really has shown that desire. And he's got that brilliant, brilliant mentality. Um, and, and it's that mentality is not shared by Spurs and there is not that absolute desire that other clubs, I'm sure they'll want to win. Of course, as I said, of course they want to win. Everyone wants to, no one wants to lose, but they just don't seem to have that, that level of ambition that maybe other clubs do. So that's why we haven't won. That's, that's, that's you know, that's the simple truth. And I think, you know, if you see it from that interview, I think you see it from, from Kane's comments. We all know that, the only chance Kane stays is if a club doesn't come up with a price that we want. And it, it's as simple as that. If whatever that price is, we don't know it. There's, there's, there's the, the uh, speculation that it's 150. I'm not so sure it's 150. I think if Manchester City come with an offer of about 120 million, 125 million, the guaranteed 125 million, they'll get their man. And I think that will be the, the deciding point of it. And I do expect City to come with that price at some stage during the summer and uh, I think that's that's what Paratici's been charged with and he's probably already planning planning to use some of that money now and, uh, and the key thing will be Daniel said every penny we raise goes back into the club so make sure every single penny that comes from Kane's transfer goes back into that transfer budget and it doesn't go against the debt of the stadium. Jace, just on that, Graham at Graham six one three five nine four two seven says, "Would you approve the sale of Kane if we did receive the one hundred fifty million fee that you're referring to? Do you feel that we better for the squad to sell him and allow Paratici to strengthen the squad, or better to keep him and not have as much funds for other positions?" Personally, I think it's better to keep him, but um, <clears throat> if the money comes and he wants out, then I understand why the club will do it. So uh, the problem, I suppose, will be is if as if Kane says, well, I won't sign another contract at the club and, and therefore you end up losing him on a complete free. Then you have to, you know, much much more like I said about Toby two years ago, at, at some stage you have to make the decision if the player's not going to sign a contract. But, you know, <laughs> I think it will come to it. But um, no, I, I don't think you want to sell world-class players. And we've, we've learned from mistakes that how many world-class players have we lost? The likes of Modric, mm. the likes of Bale, and we've never properly replaced them. And uh, this is a player that, that we've nurtured and it's cost us nothing. So, no, I don't think we want to lose Kane. But, and I think that the, the problem when you lose a Kane is that, that top players around the, 
Europe will think, well, they're not in Europe and they're selling their best player. Yeah. So, you know, what is what direction does the club want to go in? And what does it tell the likes of Hyunmin Son and, and other players at the club that, well, you know, Harry's going, so we're on a downward spiral. And that's the problem. But I understand people say it gives you a lot of money, but, you know, look look what the Gareth Bale money brought us and, and look how far that set us back. And let's be honest, we'd have sooner kept Gareth Bale than had Paulinho, Soldado and, and Etienne Capu, wouldn't we? So, and Kirikes. That's my view, mate. I'd sooner keep Kane at all costs. But I understand that if the club needs money, that's that you, you're yeah. going to have to sell I, one I of the big players. As well, if you just look at the other side as well, maybe maybe we do need, you know, maybe it does take someone to actually have some balls and, and, and really make try to move on with this squad and, and really rebuild it. And the way the club is run, as Daniel Levy said, we have to go and um, raise the money ourselves. So maybe it would take a sale like Kane. The big, big concern, and then of course, examples of clubs doing that. You see Philip Coutinho being sold and they went and reinvested that money. But can you can you go and trust this Spurs board to go and reinvest it in the proper way? Can you trust Paratici as the man to go and reinvest that money? Because if we were then to lose Harry Kane, that completely rips out kind of almost the soul of the football club. Um, and the goals you know, he, and the really assists. Is, well, and exactly. So th- there is a huge, huge concern there in terms of what you'd lose when you'd lose Harry Kane. So you'd have to, have to get the, the right players in. And, I, you know, I don't know whether I trust it, but, you know, you look at that way other clubs have done it. You know, maybe that is what it takes to really, really go and rebuild this Spurs side. Maybe that's what we need to do. But I, I would say maybe we should go and do that. But... I, I really, really worry about what, how this club would go and reinvest that sort of money. Yeah, I think also what you've got to consider is the last, I say, the last football director Spurs had, or you know, director of football Spurs had when they came into a lot of money was Franco Baldini. We can't forget who was given a huge amount of money to spend. And um, again, I think there was that ultimate concern that he was only in the job. I think recently Baldini at the time when he got all that windfall money to spend. And again, it'll be Paratici the same thing. Paratici just coming to the club to then sell Harry Kane and then give him all that money, you know, without having the experience at all of buying in the Premier League or buying from, I say, across Europe in terms of, you know, knowing Spurs' DNA and culture to share. That's a big, big concern. And you add to that, I said, the goals, the assists Harry Kane brings. I mean, God, you think without Harry Kane, where would Spurs have finished last season? I mean, we finished, what was it, seventh, eighth at best. You think, God, we could be really mid-table, even below that. So I think selling Harry Kane, like Jason says there, I think it sends out the wrong message to Europe, I think it sends out the wrong message to the supporters. As we know, he's the poster boy of the football club. I mean, Jason, just I just can't see how that would ever go down well, even with you know some decent recruitment. Do we get those goals back in the team about Harry Kane? I'm not so sure. Uh, well, I don't know. I don't know if you get the the goals back from one player. It may be that you can spread them across the board from some. I don't know, but you know, you're right. It's the poster boy. He's, he he means so much to to Tottenham that I, I don't want to see it happen. I think my worry with with the money from 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 him coming in is that the foreign market definitely sometimes, if you look at the the pros and cons of a player, we all know that English players are dearer. So, you know, a player like, say, Ollie Watkins. Ollie Watkins, there's no way Tottenham would go to Brentford and spend £30 million on Ollie Watkins. And I'm sure a, a paratici would come in and say, hold on, you can buy this bloke from Brentford for 30 million, or you can buy this bloke from, from AC Milan for 22 million. And this bloke scored goals at the top level and Ollie Watkins has scored them at the championship. But the problem is when those players come to the Premier League, they're just not suited to it. And suddenly a Patrick Bamford or a Ollie Watkins looks like you suddenly think, Do you know what, we could have done with that. 
rather than this this top player. And Soldado is the prime example of that, isn't he? You know, as I said at the time when we all signed Soldado, everyone was excited by Soldado signing. There was nobody that thought that was a stupid deal to make. He was a, a really top class goal scorer in Spain for the, the, the right level that Tottenham could go and get. It just didn't work out. And that's the worry with with so many foreign players that, that come in. They're just not suited to the Premier League. But my worry is Paratici will think there's better value overseas than there is buying from England. Um, but, you know, we, we just have to give the bloke a chance to, to impress us, don't we? we? I don't want to write him off or say he's not going to do the right deals. The, we, we just have to sit back and wait and see. And hopefully there will always be good deals and bad deals that clubs do. Let's, let's be honest. But, um, you know, Paulinho and deals like that just didn't work when when they went on the surface. You think that's a better. I mean, Paulinho, even that price, 17 million for a Brazilian international, when you could have probably gone and got a bloke from Notts County for 17 million. You think there's, there's a no brainer. This bloke's got far more. But we see the problems that sometimes that brings. Just to finish up, boys, on this subject, before we discuss Fonseca's imminent appointment, um, I think one of the things to pick up finally from that interview was, with regards to Levy, he mentions about unfinished business. Jamie, coming over to you, doesn't sound like he's ready to pack his bags yet and leave Tottenham by a long stretch, Daniel Levy. Seems like he's still going to be in it for a number of years. If you read into, like I say, the comments he said towards the end of that interview, what did you make of that? Yeah, I've kind of always seen that. I think Jason's always, always made that point. You know, we can always want to ask for Enoch to leave, but ultimately there has to be that £2.5 billion or £3 billion to go and buy out the club. So um, I think, and I can't ever see them really trying to, you know, lose any of that value. They're never going to decrease on that. And I think it's very hard to see anyone coming in and paying that sort of money. So I think you're right. I think we are, you know, we're going to be stuck with Enoch for a very long time or, or for, for certainly for the foreseeable future. Um, so, yeah, obviously very disappointing. Um, and unfortunately, I say, I always kind of thought, you know, for a, for a number of years, I've always thought, you know, maybe this is the year they might change. Maybe this is the year might change. But um, I, I think really this summer has, has totally, totally killed it for me. I know a lot of people will say, oh, no, I saw it ages ago, but... Um, yeah, it's obviously that's another, you know, uh, as you said, a very concerning comment for me. I think I think they'll be here for for the foreseeable future, as I said. I think uh, well, I took a slightly different view of that. I thought you know the way he talked about the the, the effects of the pandemic, the uh, it was totally the wrong time to build a state, which obviously he didn't know at the time they built it. Um, that he talked about the debt of the stadium, and whilst he said it's under control, you know, there, there were signs there that I think that there is an opportunity for somebody to come in and buy the And when people say, no, they're just, they're just worried about the profits of the club, I think there were, there were signs that, you know what, if, if, a, if a good enough offer came in, I think they would take it and think it's time to move away. Well, that's it. We're going to go for our final break of the show. When we return, we'll be discussing Paolo Fonseca's imminent appointment as Tottenham Hotspur's next Head coach, not go anywhere. We're back after our final break of this show. Hello and welcome back to the final part of the last word on Spurs. So it appears Spurs' search for their new head coach is expected to end this week with the appointment of former Shatter Donetsk and Roma boss Paolo Fonseca. As Jamie referenced earlier in the show, we had talks with Maurizio Pochettino, maybe his representatives, even the man himself, then Antonio Conte, the first of which which fell on the rocks due to PSG and the latter because Spurs did not feel the Italians' demands were realistic. Many fans are going to be clearly underwhelmed by the appointment of Paolo Fonseca. Um, I've got to say, he does have experience of managing some big clubs. If you if you do say he's a big club, the likes of Braga, Shatner Donetsk, Roma... 
meaning that he's had to work with some experience of, you know, some talented players in the past. And, you know, if he does come to Spurs, it'll be his 10th club to which he's managing. Um, Jason, let's come round to you. I know you were very vocal on social media when this news broke about Fonseca becoming potentially the next Spurs manager. Now you've had some time to process it. What's your thoughts generally on the imminent appointment of this Portuguese? <laughs> well, <laughs> It was strange, wasn't it, when you compared Roma's record to ours and it was exactly the same number of wins, draws, losses, points, goals, four. Uh, and you're thinking after 50, what is it now? What's, what's today? 54, 55 days. If that's that's the upgrade that that we were hoping for, then it, it looks a strange one. But um, I don't know. The, the problem is, I think most of us were probably OK to take Brendan Rodgers. Lots of us wanted Pochettino. Lots of us wanted Conte. But after those three names when it was the names of Graham Potters and Scott Parkers and um, some of the others, it, it didn't really matter who the name was. There was more reasons to say no than yes. So no, it doesn't excite me. Um, I don't think it's necessarily the the profile of manager we want, but clearly we can't get the pro, well, for whatever the reasons, we can't get the profile of the manager that we do want. Therefore, as fans, it's going to be somebody we, we don't approve of or, and somebody that, you know, ranges from an idiot from in some people's minds to to just a lesser name in others. We just have to get behind him and give him a chance. You know, there's one worse manager out there, that's for sure. I don't think any of us would have wanted to see Sol Campbell get the job. So at least we haven't we haven't gone that far down the barrel. But uh, let, let's just say, I mean, I, I I honestly I haven't seen Roma once under him. So I can't say how Roma play. I can't say the reasons that I can't look at it and say Roma finished seventh because of injuries or or because of this or because of that. Uh, it's not very impressive that a bloke makes six substitutions and gets thrown out of a cup competition. Uh, that that seems a strange one. But we just have to, you know, like I say, I think next season is a transitional year. Whoever comes in, so it it is what it is. Whoever it is is never going to meet with universal approval from us. It's if it's Fonseca, it's Fonseca, and and you know the key to me is getting some of those players out, and I think maybe we'll have a better chance if we get some of these players out. Maybe our, our minds will be changed, and the excitement and that will come back. And like anybody, if he gets off to a good start, you get behind him. If we're if we're probably six games in and we've lost four and draw one, then then the warning signs are flashing, aren't they? But let's we can only hope, mate, and and hope he can do the job that we all we all want him to do. But it's it's tough for him. It's yeah. tough for him as well. That's that's it's not it's not just me not liking Fonseca. I think that we all know the job is a massive job for whoever takes it over. Would have been a massive job for Conte or Pochettino to come into. And uh, but at least they might have been given a little bit more patience amongst the supporters for when it's, it's in, in when it starts to go inevitably wrong. But um, you know it is what it is, and if if that's the way the club want to go down, then we just have to take it and, and try and get behind the club the best we can. This is a hard one, Jake. I'm using it because when you've been linked with the likes of, like I say, Pochettino, Antonio Conte, and then for Paolo Fonseca, I feel from a little bit because. Naturally, you're going to be over underwhelmed as a supporter, you know, and the nature by, you know, Spurs and, you know, who we've gone from Jose Mourinho, whatever you think about Jose Mourinho, I think that the manner of that appointment where you do think it was still at the time um, one of the best managers in the world on the basis of what he's won. And then like at the moment, you feel like Fonseca, naturally, it's quite, I use that word underwhelming, but we've got many questions. I just want to quickly throw these in. Um, we've got here, Profit Before Glory, who says, is Fonseca already getting undue hate from supporters or is this the hire as bad as everyone on Twitter makes it seem? John Seridan says, anyone else think Fonseca is just a stopgap until Pochettino is available again in a season or two? 
or do you honestly think we'll ever feel a connection to the club equivalent of how we felt all under Poch and Co? Chris at Spunky Monkey, 14, interesting tagline there, says, do you feel if Fonseca comes in, that's done me, that line, that's brilliant. Do you feel if Fonseca comes in, he will be backed? Also, what positions do you think we need to strengthen at most? Really random user says, considering Fonseca's very, or not very inspiring, what are your minimum expectations for him next season? We'll come on to that. But um, just to say on Fonseca, you know, he spent his time at Pacos de Ferreira and guided the club there to their first ever Champions League qualification. In effort, they got him the Porto job, which didn't really quite work out for him. After that disappointing spell, he was sacked in the March and then returned to Pacos de Ferreira for another year in 2014. He then took over Braga, managed a fourth place finish, also in the Taca del Portugal National Cup in 2016. He got his first overseas job, taking charge of Shakhtar Donetsk, whom, like I say, he guided them to three successive Ukrainian Premier League titles, three successive Ukrainian Cups and a Ukrainian Super Cup. Those excellent three years saw Fonseca snapped up by AS Roma, which he would spend the next two years at. In his first season, he led Roma to a fifth-place finish, but he walked away at the end of this season, having finished seventh and suffering a semi-final defeat to Manchester United in the Europa League. And he was succeeded, ironically, by Jose Mourinho. Yes, the same man Spurs pushed aside. Jay, I mean, the appointment itself, I can see the look on your face there. You're so despondent (laughs) by it. Is there anything that gives you the confidence that this can work? And do you think as well, if he's appointed... We ultimately we do have to get behind him because he's going to be the yeah. next manager of top. Yeah, yeah. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not completely against it. I mean, when I, I remember when he was first linked, I, I I did a bit on kind of Roma last year and I covered a couple of their games, um, particularly in the Europa League. And obviously, they did fairly well. They got absolutely smashed by Manchester United. But in the league, I remember kind of covering that bit, and that they were on an awful, awful run towards the end of the year. Um, I think it obviously was pointed out that maybe they did have injuries. Um, but I think for me, the worrying thing and kind of the ambition of the club and the level of manager that they're at and the fact that we, I don't think we'd ever have attracted a Pochettino or Conte type manager back was the reports that were coming out of the wages that he's on. You know, supposedly he's going to be on around two million, two and a half million euros per year. Um, and then, of course, you look at the issue with the staff as well. Um, I think he's only going to, he's going to be given coaching staff by Tottenham where Mason, Ryan Mason and Nelly King are being brought back into the fold. You know, what top manager accepts you know, the club giving him, you know, staff like that. There's never going to be a top manager. You know, Conte was never going to be a realistic target, you know, offering that sort of money for him. Um, so for me, it's, it's obviously in terms of the level that it's at, it is very disappointing. And, uh, you know, you read out CV there. For me, it's, it, it's very, very, very underwhelming. Um, the Shakhtar staff, I remember, I remember a bit of his time at, at Shakhtar. I think he was kind of, maybe that's where he really made his name. And, and maybe there was a bit of excitement across Europe of him, but... You know, in uh, Shakhtar, um, uh, you know, it's very difficult to kind of gauge where that level is at. So um, he's, he's obviously Patrizzi's man. He's Patrizzi's man, you know, and as I said, I think we've got to totally back Patrizzi now in terms of um, all the decisions that he makes. We don't know what Patrizzi is going to be like. We don't know whether he's going to be a success. So for me, I, I think we just have to back this decision by, the, by our new sporting director. Um, but for me, as you said, I do think it is underwhelming and... I think there's been also the comparison of Roma to Spurs in terms of there is a huge expectation at both clubs. Um, at Roma, there's a massive expectation of supporters. But in terms of the resources that they're given by their clubs, I think they're very similar. You know, they're, they're well off kind of that expectation. And that's where um, I do worry because he's just failed at a very similar club um, to, to Spurs. So, um, yeah, I think, I, I'm I think as well, you know, when, when Daniel says that, uh, Patrizzi or Paratici rather will is in is in charge of all football operations. 
but we we understand that Mason and King will stay on. Now, there's no way Paratici will have said to Daniel in his first meeting, the very first thing that a club must do is retain these two coaches because he's never spoken to these two coaches. He's never done a day's, he's never met them. He's not seen them work. So why would he instantly demand that? So that has already been put down from the club to Paratici. Therefore, he's not in total control. Already, he's been undermined in that respect. If he was in total control, he should be able to say whatever we think of those players as club legends. Well, you know, these two coaches, or yeah. certainly Ledley as a coach, was part of Mourinho's side. We couldn't defend. So, you know, do we know if it's any good? Now, that's not me putting a slight on Ledley. Maybe he's a very good coach. But yeah. what I mean is the principle is that he's already being told that these two players or these two coaches must stay with involved with the coach and the club. Therefore, he's not in total control. Can I ask you on that, Jace? I mean, also the biggest worry is that the guy that was working on side for over 15 years, his assistant manager, is not going to be coming to Tottenham. It's going to be, a, like, like we've just said there, it's going to be a new coaching staff. Um, how worrying is that for you? Because the man who allegedly, whatever you think about him, Fonseca, he's not going to have that person, his right-hand man that has been there, you know, for the majority of his managing career, he's not going to be alongside him. How, how worrying is that? You know, why would you accept that as a, if it's a demand, if it's a request, I mean... Maybe, like I say, they did choose to go their separate ways anyway, but it just seems already a massive concern that he hasn't got the man that he's been operating with as his assistant, like he's done at his previous clubs, even before we step into the job. Well, we're used to managers bringing huge staffs with them, but I think every manager wants to bring his own right-hand man. Um, I can understand. I know Jamie and I had a disagreement with this on, on WhatsApp. I can understand why Fonseca would benefit from having specific Premier League knowledge you know, Fonseca has to understand that Brighton away is a tough fixture, whether they're 17th in the table or not. Uh, and we've seen lots of teams in the bottom half can beat teams in the top half. And I think there is a difference in the Premier League to, to some of the other leagues where, where those games are traditionally rotated. And you think you can't go to Brighton and rotate. And you can't go to Burnley and rotate and places like that. So I think that they would benefit. But having said that, you know, Ledley and Mason on the coaching staff could do that regardless of whether he brought his own right-hand man or not. So I am surprised he hasn't brought that in. And again, you know, is, is, did Paratici tell him that he can't bring that in or is that the budget that's that's doing it? So again, does that suggest Paratici's in total control of the football side where, where these things are being set down on day one? I suggest that probably not. So it's... We're just a bit like Paratici, mate. We have to just sit back and watch what happens and, and hope we get it right. But um, it's hope rather than expectancy that we're living under. I think one of the things Jay has always been put up on is the fact that, you know, he's known to be a bit of a charismatic coach, a player's coach. He showed that ability to lay down the law with star players like his hand of Edin Dzeko during his time at the Serie A club. But I think one of the main criticisms with Fonseca is because they like to play an attack in nature, that can also struggle in defence. And that's one area in particular that we know as Spurs fans has been a massive concern over the car over the last 18 months. That whilst, you know, it might be great to go back to a bit more of an attacking brand of football, like we saw in the Mourinho when we did allow us to play and express ourselves, we saw defensively just how shambolic we were at the back. I mean, how much does that concern you with bringing a manager in that isn't a hasn't managed in the Premier League before. Um, bringing, like I say, with him, uh, coaching staff at the moment is an unknown entity in terms of, like I say, it'll be Mason and King maybe as part of forming that new coaching staff. How concerned is that for you, Jay, that, you know, for Spurs, defensively-wise, he's going to need a lot, a lot of, you know, upskilling on trying to get this defence in shape ahead of the start of the season? 
but it depends who they can bring in, doesn't it, to help that defence. But uh, I'm firmly the belief that that um, I think if you do play on the front foot and you spend as much time in the other half as possible, you'll end up defending less. You'll end up conceding fewer set pieces. And the more you, the less you defend and the less set pieces you're conceding, the less chances there are for mistakes. Uh, it may well be that we concede a few goals on the break, but I'd sooner concede a few on the break than than ten through sitting back camped on our own half, where 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 we, if we know players make mistakes, why are we asking them to defend more than more than we should do? So it's 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 a worry, Rick. But um, you know, if if you've got the right players and we win games three two, then I'll be happy, mate. But uh, you know, five fours and four threes. I love four threes and five fours. This this, and I'll take some of those. I'll take a few of those, even if they go the other way, rather than this constant sitting on one nils and one ones. So uh, it is what it is. Jamie, just coming over to you. I mean, I think one area people do want to kind of stress with Fonseca is that he did impress Roma last season. At one point, I mean, they were on the course of a third in the league and they had a number of injuries that kind of disrupted their season and they were seen as Serie A's most entertaining side by Christmas. Um, But nature of their season, the injuries, they did kind of tail off. And I think it's worth noting that um, with that second leg with United and where they got absolutely battered, um, it had already been announced that Mourinho was coming in to take over the job. Again, I wonder how much that played a pivotal factor. Do you look at that, Jay, and just in a way... um, affording some of what happened at Roma last season does that give you any hope that maybe there's a chance it could work at Tottenham or is it one of those that remains to be seen I think as well from a lot that I've heard about uh, from people that are actually very knowledgeable about him and have watched it um, the way he's played he's obviously got a lot of fans but they've always caveated something you know there, there maybe is um, something else about him uh, I think that people were saying that he was quite stubborn in terms of his tactics he was only willing to play one way of football that for me is something that's always very worrying about a manager you know, when they only have one style of football, I think we saw that very much with our previous manager. He only had one way of playing. And of course, that that failure to adapt to different matches and setting up into different teams just did not work. You know, we, we you know, against the likes of Palace last year, we, we lost those sort of matches because we didn't adapt to playing Palace because we played the same way that we did would do against Liverpool. So um, that for me is maybe a concern. But obviously, in terms of his actual brand of football, hopefully it'll be a lot more entertaining than... Um, than obviously what we have been watching for the last couple of seasons. But the, the big, big thing for me, and I, I mean, it's any example, that I, it's always the example that I bring up, but it's the Joe Rodens. Don't, do not go and sign players that the manager is not going to use. You need to go and get this guy, the, the, the players that he wants. Stop going and buying alternatives. That's something that's killing us because we're wasting money buying players the manager doesn't want. We need to start going buy, and buying players that these, the manager wants. We need players that are going to fit into the manager's system. Joe Roden, obviously... For, for one reason or another, didn't fit into Jose Mourinho's system. He wanted a Milan Skriniar. So we need to start going and getting who the manager wants. So um, that, 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 for me, is something that's really got to change. And, you know, Daniel Levy always he wants to save money. And sometimes he ends up trying to save money and he ends up wasting money because then we're stuck with players who we can't then shift because they don't fit under the manager. They, they don't get used by the manager. They don't look like they're very good players anymore. When in fact, the manager doesn't like them. So... That, that's something that really, really has to change because he's starting to waste so much money from the club and by, by going and getting cheaper alternatives and they don't turn out to be any good. So um, I think my, the one <laughs> thing is just you know, go and get the manager who the manager wants. You've kind of seen that recently, haven't you? In that I remember at the time when um, Gigi Wijnaldum was linked with us, we apparently met with Gigi Wijnaldum. Pochettino wanted Gigi Wijnaldum. 
he went to Liverpool, okay, Liverpool maybe made him a better offer and that that's, that was his prerogative. But that was a player he wanted. Uh, we end up signing Moussa Sissoko instead. The, a player that Pochettino, you know, wasn't that keen on. We, you know, he, he he had a good little spell with us, Moussa Sissoko, but overall you, you'd say, you know, we should never have bought. And where's Wijnaldum just gone to, to join Pochettino in Paris? So, you know, he's finally got the man that he actually wanted six years after he wanted him or five years after he wanted him. And and, that, and Jamie's right, that just shows you the 30 million. When Daniel says we spent one and a half billion pounds or whatever it is, that includes 30 million for Moussa Sissoko. But actually, if we'd have spent 35 on Gigi Wijnaldum, it would have been better value than 30 on Moussa Sissoko. Or I, I, actually, I can't even remember what Vinalda went to Liverpool on. Maybe it was a was a cheaper fee. I can't remember what the fee was, but but Jamie's right. So we wasted that 30 million on on Moussa Sissoko. And he, he hasn't he didn't bring it, let's be fair, over the over the what's he been there four years, has he really brought much value to the club, the odd, yeah. the odd good game here and there and and that's it. So that's a prime example of how much whilst we've spent money, how much of it has been wasted to the manager not getting I mean, what he wanted. Yeah, I mean, even last summer, Gareth Bale was just not used by the manager. I mean, that's that's the thing. I mean, I, I was desperate for Gareth Bale back, but if I'd have known that that Daniel, um, that Jose Mourinho just did not want to use him, then, you know, we shouldn't be bringing players in that the manager doesn't want to use. It, it should not be Daniel Levy picking the players that he wants to see at the club. He needs to start picking the players that the, that, that the manager wants. And that, that, for me, is something that's got... Matt Doherty, I mean, you'd have thought that he's the complete opposite of what Jose Mourinho wants. You saw in the first couple of matches thinking, wow, look, he's really pushing forward here, Matt Doherty. But in the end, that's not what Jose Mourinho wanted at all. He even wanted the, the wingers trying to defend. So it's decisions like that, that that are really, really killing us because we're wasting so much money on just the wrong players. Um, so I, I, I just hope that he gives, that he sets the parameters for Paratici and then he just allows him to then work in that. No med, no messing with things and thinking Paratici's gone for this man because he feels he's the right fit for Fonseca. And then, he, and then Daniel Levy decides to go and inter, interrupt with the deal and get someone else in. It's got to be going back Paratici, set those parameters and then going back him. Totally agree. Jason, just to finish up with you, you know, ironically, Fonseca does fit that brief that Spurs originally drew up. He's a different style in terms of the predecessors from Portugal that we've had in terms of Mourinho and Andre Villas-Boas. As I kind of mentioned, he does like his teams to play aggressively high up the pitch with that selective pressing the right moments that take the game to the opposition. And he's believed to be a strong motivator who connects with players. So ultimately, Jace, for you, if this does get over the line, um, how long do you give it? Do you think it could work? Could we be unearthing someone here potentially? Uh, it just reminds me seeing it. I, I think that any chance of success depends on how many players he can get in and out. Um, if he had to work with that, the club that he's got at the moment, I suggest it would be a disaster. But as, as Jamie says, it depends how many of his own players or of Paracetic's players they can bring in. That's the key thing. And it's the key thing for any manager, not just Fonseca. It's the key thing. Get the players in that that manager needs. And more importantly, get some of these people that have constantly let us down now for two or three seasons. It's time to let go of them. Don't be sentimental. Just We need to get rid. And, and that's one good thing with, with Daniel apparently stepping back is that if somebody comes in with, I don't know, 20 million for Eric Dyer, Daniel won't be sitting there saying, oh, I'm not having that. He's an England international. I want 35 million for him. And we're stuck with a player that the manager wants to go. 
Um, so, if, you know, if, if Paratici thinks five million is a fair price for Eric Dyer, then you sell him for five million. If Paratici wants 30, then Paratici wants 30, then and you're stuck with him, that's his fault. But it is the, the movement of players that is so key to this summer. And any cess next season depends on the movement of players in and out. I do agree with that. Jamie, just to finish up the show with you, we've also seen Fonseca does enjoy developing younger players, having given Diego Jota his debut as a teenager at Portuguese side Pacos de Ferreira. He's never been afraid of using younger players, which probably, again, is a reason why Spurs or Paratici is considering him to be high up on this shortlist. Um, you know, it could bow well for the likes of Oliver Skip, Ryan Sessignon next season. Ultimately, the question I'm going to ask Jason, the same I'm going to ask you, Jamie, do you see his appointment in any way being yeah. successful? Bearing in mind when Spurs have gone for their first choices previously, it hasn't worked out. We know Pochettino wasn't a first choice. It was Louis van Gaal. Yeah. Uh, we know, like I say, we, we even go back as far as Harry Rinnat, Martin Yole. What do you think, Jay, this appointment does hold? I, I, I do think, I know a lot of people are comparing it to the Pochettino thing and maybe have we unearthed something. I think it was, the Pochettino thing was a bit different because he'd done relatively well at Espanyol. It was fairly early on in his managerial career. He then went to Southampton. He wasn't there for very long and I think it was... Possibly Les Reed, who was saying it was someone very high at Southampton. They were saying that, you know, that when they brought Pochettino in and they had him for a couple of months, they were already preparing to lose him because they knew he was that good. So Pochettino was clearly someone that was very much destined for being at the top. You And, you know, he'd had two fairly successful spells in management anyway. I think if you look at Fonseca, um, you know, he didn't do particularly well in Portugal. Yes, he did well in Ukraine but he's just done a very, very underwhelming job at Roma, maybe for different circumstances. But just as, as I said, you compare the two clubs in terms of the expectation and, and the resources. I think the Spurs and Roma are two similar clubs. So I am a little bit concerned that maybe this isn't the right fit. And again, it might come down to the fact that, you know, should we have gone for Conte? And, and, and you know, then you've got a guy who you get success from, you guarantee success. Yes, you have to pay a bit more money for Yes, you have to pay 20, you know, what, 15 million pounds a year, but then you don't have to sack him in three years, you know, potentially with Fonseca. I think there is a real chance. And again, I'm totally going to back him when he comes in. That's the way I will always be. But, uh, you know, you can't just, you can't back someone. You can't, um, you know, there's, there's something that, there's definitely something there that does worry about it. And there is, I don't think you can be totally blind in terms of what he's done in the past because he's, you know, he hasn't done a great job at some club. So, Let's, let's see, I'm a little bit Jay, worried about it. Jay, we pay somebody 50 million a year, we had to sack him in two years, let alone three. Well, exactly, exactly. So there you go. I think it's fair. Listen, let me say a massive thank you, <laughs> Jamie Brown from the Daily Hotspur. Jay, thank you ever so much. It's one that we have to kind of wait and see, but it looks like it's close to being done, Jay. Yeah, um, as I said, look, um, as much as I, I'm concerned about it, obviously I'll get straight behind him, I'll back him, I'll have to go and back him. I'll, that's kind of the always support that I've always been. I always back the Spurs manager no matter my thoughts of him, didn't really want Jose Mourinho, but as, as everyone saw, I got straight behind him. I'll do the same with, with Fonseca. I just really, really hope that Paratici and, and Fonseca are backed. I think, you know, again, he has he has done some successful things. He plays a very nice style of football. Um, he's obviously got the right ideas, did well at, did very well at Shakhtar. I mean, I remember he beat um, Pep Guardiola's Manchester City when they were on a very, very good run in the Champions League. So, He's a guy who's obviously got some some pedigree about him, but uh, I think when he's been at certain clubs, he's, he's not really had that backing. So, you know, it's going to take us to really go and back him and get in the right players. So hopefully we do that. But as I said, I, I will be behind him for sure. Yep. Amen. Jason, thank you as always. One that we're going to have to keep an eye on. Looks like it's supposed to be in Dunjay. I presume like Jamie, you'll get behind him if and when he's appointed. 
yeah, I, I think the important thing, like I say, with any manager coming in, we know next year's a transition year. So I just want to see us play some good football, mate. It's it's been a it's been two two and a half years or whatever since I've I've really enjoyed watching us play, and uh, I'll settle for that at the moment. Just just being able to look forward on a Saturday and thinking, well, Tottenham are playing at home and we should see a decent game. And sometimes you lose decent games, but at the moment, I, you know, I just that stage where I want to see some good football. So that's the most important thing for me. And whoever brings that in, that, that I'll take that as a starting point. Oh, man. Well, listen, guys, we'll be back with you very, very soon. Plenty more shows to come over the summer. Most importantly, keep safe, keep well. And as always, come on, you Spurs. Sports Social Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.